This is Bucket Talk, a weekly podcast for people who work in the trades and construction that aren't just trying to survive, but have the ambition and desire to thrive. The opportunity in the trades and construction is absolutely ridiculous right now. So if you're hungry, it's time to eat. We discuss what it takes to rise from the bottom to the top with people who are well on their way and roll up their sleeves every single day. All right. On this episode of Bucket Talk, we are here with Auto Tech Mike. Auto Tech Mike, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hell yeah. So this one, so I, as I as I said off camera, and I'll say it again, um, I come from the automotive industry. I am nervous to do this podcast because you never know. The guy next to you knows more knowledge. We'll call you out on your bullshit. So let's see how this will go. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike, where are you out of? What do you do on a daily basis? How'd you get your start? Let's let's start there. I'm in Napoleon, Michigan, which is a a little town right before Brooklyn where MIS Speedway is. Yep. Uh been working in this same building for over a decade. Yep. I actually worked for the, the previous owner for over 10 years and he ended up retiring i had the option to buy it out so now i'm working for myself going on a couple years now i i want to get i want to get deep into that because that is something that i i got to that point and i was wondering whether i make the jump to do it myself or whether i just you know join the the masses and jump to a dealership and and do all that stuff. I was mom and pop from the day I got out of school all the way to the day I I stopped wrenching. So that that's definitely something I want to hit on. But how'd you get into the trade? Like go, go far back. As a kid, I was fascinated with taking things apart. And I think what got me into working on cars in general was small engines. I think everybody gets their start with small engines like lawnmowers, go-karts, yeah. mini bikes. So I lived in a small little subdivision and people would throw out lawnmowers. So me being nine, ten years old, I'd scoop those up, fix them up, and post, post them out in the front yard for sale. And loved it. Lo- loved the thing, make, making something that wasn't running and making it run again. And then yeah. the money wasn't bad either, but. No, that's actually that's actually a good point. I mean, um, few few of my friends made fun of me because I was a trash picker, but people throw out <laughs> some good stuff, and all it is is literally a fouled plug, no oil. Um, you know, I had one that was a pressure washer. The guy used it once, put it away. The tip was clogged, so I assume that when he went to go use it the next time, didn't work. Put it out on the curb. And, you know, power washes come with like four or five different tips. So it's like, it was funny. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I could, it's a lucrative business, just trash picking alone. So then well, most you, of them, the carburetors are plugged up or dirty. Yep. Fuel gels up. Just needs a carb yep. clean. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't even know if a lot of people know what a carburetor is anymore. No. <laughs> So anyway, so you were you're a kid. You had the passion for it, making a little coin on your own. Um, how'd you get to actually starting to work for a shop, uh, having the knowledge, the ability? Did you did you was it that summer job sweeping the floors, or was it 
full on auto mechanic school and then just jumping right into it. How'd you go? I about went it? to, there's a thing next to the college here, Jackson community college. They had a career center in school. Yep. So I did that for a couple of years. It was all hands-on ended up being like top of my class there. It got so good that, uh, they had this Pontiac grand Am 3.8 liter. I think it was. And we had to do a motor swap in it, and it went sideways. It, harness was all destroyed, so we're trying to splice in this harness from this other vehicle to the new vehicle, and we didn't know what we were doing. But yeah. We sure as hell tried, but. Good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then, so so you did a little bit of that, and then what was your first job like? What was your first job out in the field? Um, how'd you go about getting that? I started for myself. So that's a bit different. So that's crazy. I did mobile. Yeah. I did mobile stuff and, uh, it was hard. It was especially around here, getting your foot in the door certifications and all that. And I'm not a good book, like a test taker. <laughs> yeah. No, so, I never, I didn't get any of my ASCs by the way. I, I, I actually, you know, there's a whole. I had a couple. There's, there's. I don't have them of, anymore. Yeah, there was a whole group of people out there that, and I don't dog them. Um, they got the certified master tech, everything like that. And for me, we didn't require them. We didn't. I mean, it's a, it's an outside company telling you you're good. You know, there's no state or uh, federal regulation on it, so it was like, right. Why am I going to pay all this money to tell some to have some company say? Good job. You did it. I don't know. Yeah. The only thing in Michigan they got is you, you got to have the state certifications. That's all they require. So anything really? you're going to be working on, you got to be certified in it. So you go take like a 50 question quiz or whatever it is. You pay six bucks per test. It's a lot cheaper than ASE. A hell yeah. of a lot cheaper. <laughs> but yeah, they got they make you be required if you're going to do any kind of automotive work. Same thing as if you open up your business, you got to have a repair facility license. Yeah. You even got to have one now if you're doing mobile. Back when I started, I, they didn't require that. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I actually want to go a little bit deeper into that. So I could I could see somebody going mobile and just like doing it under the radar. You got the truck, you got the service truck, you're doing oil changes in like office parking lots, wipers, what have you. But I've always wanted to know from a mobile perspective, like that, that's, that's not kosher. Like, obviously somebody's got like, you spill oil. There's got, there's got to be some sort of process or licensing or whatever you got to go through. And this was new when I started doing it, at least in my area was they started having these mobile trucks that would come out and do it. And I'm like, I'm having a hard time just, just getting it figured out at a, at a stationary location. I couldn't imagine all the permitting and, and whatever process they got to go through. Because I would assume each town and city are different, or is there some, is it statewide? I, I don't even know where to start there. You know, I don't know what it is now. Yeah. But as far as fluids, I didn't have to worry about anything about having special certifications or permits for mm -hmm. spilling oil or coolant. As long as I cleaned up after myself to so carry your normal oil, dry floor, dry kitty litter, whatever it was cheaper, yep. clean it up, put it in a bag and dispose of it um i won't get into how it was disposed but <laughs> it's 
it's, it was it's disposed. Yeah. Well, that, that was another thing too. Like for us, we were, we were, we were pumped. We had, uh, it's cold as hell up here. I, I assume it's cold where you are. We were lucky. Yeah. We had a we had a clean burn unit. Shout out to Clean Burn. Um, I got one. They, too. yeah, aren't they the best? Yeah. I mean, it was just like people would come down and be like, "Can I dispose? Can I give you my oil?" And we're like, "Sure, we'll take it." And it's like, right here's <laughs> like we got heat for the winter. And my my boss had this most elaborate setup. It was like it was a sandpiper pump, so it's a diaphragm pump. And we'd have the day tank, right? So the day tank was like 100 gallons. And that was fed up to the clean burn unit. But then outside, we built this custom this custom uh, uh, shed. And it had Roth tanks, all these Roth tanks set up, right? And so we had a plumber come in and plumb them. So we could, we could blow off all the, the oil buckets into the day tank, right? And we could transfer it out during the summer months to all these Roth tanks. And then from the Roth tanks in the summer or when the winter came, we could transfer it back to the day tanks through this manifold system. The funny part is if you weren't paying attention, you're fucked. (laughs) So I don't know how many oil spills I cleaned up within the shop, but it worked. It worked great. I mean, he would take everything, diesel, kerosene, um, you know, any hydraulic oil, oil, I mean, if it burned, we'd take it. Um, and we were, I mean, it was t-shirts in the wintertime. It was great. Oh yeah, dude. It's like 80 degrees in here. It's like, man, you're burning me out. It's like, I want to be comfortable when I'm working. (laughs) Yeah. Close that door. And that's all on waste oil. I mean, all on waste oil. And, and, uh, you know, I, I personally think that that's the best way to, to burn all the fluids that we, we go through i've got a big tank outside that is about the same i think it's another 250 gallon tank because on top of our clean burn we got the the 250 gallon tank so we'll fill that outside but it's a little harder to get than what you were saying your old boss had yeah yeah. so i have an old transfer pump and a garden hose and i stick in there and string it all the way across from outside into the shop and boy you better make sure those connections are tight but you know what's interesting too? We, I mean, I don't know if you had a forklift or not. We had a forklift, and um, we bought those those uh, plastic tanks. Like you get them from junkyards or whatever. They they come in the metal cage. I, I don't know if they're like five hundred gallon tanks. Um, yeah. We got to the point where we were filling those because um, we just had so much, and then we take again, you know, one of those transfer pumps. But um, again, if you have that that sandpiper pump or that diaphragm pump you could almost plumb a hose in with a valve and you just set you you move it out to where you need to and suck it right into the day tank i mean obviously the the sediment and all that stuff but I, dude we can go on for for, for hours about <laughs> setting this up <laughs> right <laughs> but so that's cool so you you went into the mobile unit you have uh you learned a lot there what made you jump to a to a facility um, that people come to you versus you coming to them? I think I hated working in the winter. That was yeah. the, that was the gist of it. It's cold. You're rolling around in rain, snow. Yeah, it it sucked to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I think I did the mobile stuff for five years. Hell, it could be more. I lost track, but. 
I, I should I've worked in this building and this is the only shop I've worked at. So most people are like, whoa, that's the only shop you've worked at. But yeah, so I've been mobile. I've been here pretty much the majority of my career. I think we have more in common than I than I originally thought. Mine was I was at a little gas station right out of the military for a couple of years. It shut down because it was in a high rent district, so it was like gas station or condos, and they chose condos. And then I I went out to the burbs, and man, I spent 15 years out there. I I did I did I never wanted to make the jump. I loved what I did. So that's and that cool. was my thought. If if he wasn't gonna sell it to me or give me the option to sell it's like man what do i do i've been been independent for so long do i really want to go to a dealership so i kind of got pushed into this because it was a great deal like i worked for him he i loyalty was there trust was there i didn't have a a down payment to do for him so he just kind of gave it to me and loaned me some money for startup and i'm paying back when when we're doing good and yeah and 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 if you want to go into it, I, I mean, I might be I might be prying a little bit here, but I, I've talked with a whole bunch of shop owners on a transfer of shop, right? And a lot of the shop owners will say, um, you know, I'll continue I'll continue to own the property. Um, I'll give you the shop, all the equipment, everything, and then it's startup, and it's turnkey, ready to go, like nothing. Like not like you didn't miss a, a a beat, so that's one way of doing it. Um, I I never really liked that because, you know, I've heard yeah. horror stories of, of you know, just rent going through the roof, and then now, you're at the mercy of your old boss or your old whatever. Um, so I've always heard to to own the property, which is not necessarily the best either, because a lot of these service stations and whatever. They also come with years and years of hazardous problems, if you will. So, so when you go when you go to sell it, there's 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 a lot of ghosts, there's a lot of skeletons in the closet, if you will. And yeah. I've heard those horror stories. And then, uh, I mean, on top of it, I, like for me, I was I was gonna make the jump. I wanted to own my own shop, and um, you know the the boss I was working with at at the time, he was like, you know, I'll give it to you. You'll just have to rent it from me. And I don't know. I just, I couldn't do it. So he was going to do basically what you're saying. Keep the property, rent the building to you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But I've seeing heard... that he could sell the, the property off from any, and then you're kind of screwed. You still own the building, but what do you do? Cause you ain't got the property. Right. Right. And then on top of it, I mean, one of the, one of the things that, that scared me most about our industry, and this was, and I'm sure you've toyed with the idea too is uh technology is moving so fast right um and the it seems like the dealerships are pulling it pulling it back i mean we were we had um the the gm mdi right we had the ford ids we had toyota we had all this stuff right and the subscriptions were just astronomical like the overhead costs are are through the roof and you know you go to the dealership and they're like yeah i'll flash it for 30 bucks well a flash for me is a hundred plus, right? And and, yeah. and so it it was almost like, is my next move to go to a dealership? I mean, where would I be if I started a shop right now, twenty years from now? Where would I be? And 
I had the hardest time, you know, dealing with that. So, so walk me through your, your thought process there and, and why you went, went this route versus, um, just working for the man. Cause it was pretty much, well, I should, shouldn't say pretty much, but it was similar to what I was already doing. So it was me and another guy and then the owner, which was a service writer. Yep. I was doing most of the lead mechanic stuff to begin with. He's retiring out. It's pretty much me same. So the only other thing I'd pick up was service writing, which I was doing that anyways. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it was kind of like a no brainer. I'm like, well, I'm pretty much already doing this. So the only difference is, is I got to manage bills now and make yeah. sure everything's paid, uh, switch over accounts. The hardest part of it is switching over all the accounts, like your parts vendors, uh, your Mitchell, um, yeah, hell, I'm with phone, PO box, and yeah, just all the tedious stuff you don't think about when you're just wrenching. I um, got a, I got a, I got a question for you. So you spoke about Mitchell. There's Mitchell. There's All Data. There's, you know, a, a couple of different softwares out there. Have you used Identifix? I have from time to time. So I don't keep a subscription on it, but on occasion you get those ones that stump the living crap out of you. Yeah. And you call them up. So if I got to use it, I, I'll i either eat that call or call the customer and say, hey, I got this program I can get access and get more info from, but it's going to cost this much. You want to split it with me or however, but a lot of times they'll, they'll split it with me. Yeah, it was it was crazy. We actually carried the subscription, um, you know, obviously not to plug Identifix, but it was it was pretty cool because it it was a forum for mechanics throughout the United States. So you'd get like a no start on a Chevy Blazer, right? And they said, you know, one of the fix was drain the fuel tank. It was filled with Italian dressing, and you're like, what the <laughs> fuck. Like, I, how did you, like, why is this even an Identifix post? Like, uh, why Mitchell's got even... something similar to that, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure track or whatever. Yeah. And it comes oh, up yeah, with sure the, the weirdest stuff. <laughs> but then, but then there was a, if there was enough posts on the problem, um, it gets you in the right direction. It's like 378 say, um, you know, check power and ground of the fuel pump, uh, check, you know, fuel pressure and what have you. Um, so it, it leads you in the right direction, but. Right. Same thing. Um, I loved Identifix. Identifix was was great. Uh, it was yeah. A, you, it was you, a you punch in a code or whatever, and you punch yep. it in the search, and it says, "All right, three thousand like this throttle actuator code. Three thousand confirmed fixes. Uh, throttle body fixed it. Yeah. Another seven hundred was the gasket. Yeah. And so on and so forth. And it's like, okay, well, I guess we start looking at the throttle body area. You must so. be talking about a Chevy. Yep. <laughs> Old. Old two 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 two. That's surprisingly funny. I had a Ford in here the other day. It was the same thing. Oh, surprisingly, you had a Ford in your shop that was broken down. No, the throttle body. Ford's <laughs> always broke. Between Ford and Chevy, they keep me in business. <laughs> That's why I said I was a diesel mechanic for the longest time. I said to I said to uh, a lot of the owners, I said, "Thanks, you guys are paying my kids' college tuition." Uh, <laughs> so. That's awesome. I know. I get people like, "Oh, you don't get, you don't see Toyotas or Hondas very much, or at all. I don't see any Hondas or Toyotas in your video. I've done some, but 
It's a small town. Plus, they don't break down that often. No, they don't. I mean, Toyota's. I mean, other than, other than the frame, the frame recalls that they had, which was, um, you know, a shame. But they, at the same time, they did well by the customers. Um, all those Tacomas, Tundras, everything out there. Although, I think or the, re- the airbag recall. Yeah, that was a good old Takata. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so. I actually want to start talking about tools, right? So yeah. we've gotten into the business. Um, you can go one way or the other. You can go dealership, which is flat rate, fast paced. Um, <clears throat> and for those out there that don't know about flat rate, each each job in the automotive industry comes with a book time, meaning you get paid a certain amount of hours to do that job. Now, if you're in Florida, you're probably going to be book time every time. If you're up in the salt states like us, book time is it's a joke. <laughs> it's, it's a joke. You pretty much want to see the vehicle before you try to quote anything. <laughs> exactly. like how rusty is it? <laughs> has this been has this been a plow truck for 15 years? And uh, I gotta I gotta get that fuel ring off the fuel pump. Um, on the flip side, you have uh, the age old hourly rate which I stuck by, hey, man, I'm a, I'm a hard worker. Um, I'm going to give you a good hour's um, work if you make more money off me in that hour. Um, as long as we're at a fair wage, that's, that's where I wanted to be. So that's where I was comfortable right. with. Um, right. I show up, you pay me, I give you a full day's work, and we're good. Um, flat rate never really did anything for me. I've been on flat rate. I've been on hourly. I like them both, but hourly is better, especially if you don't have the work coming in. Yeah. At least you can find something to do in the shop, clean your box, organize a shelf, or do something, yeah. push a broom, but yeah. you're still I mean, getting paid. That was, that was the hard part is, is um, you know, they started talking about customer service. Um, I forget what it was. It was like the CSI rating, so customer service index. So they said in dealerships, our, our CSI needs to go up, meaning – our customer service satisfaction needs to go up. And they're like, put me on hourly. <laughs> it was like, you know, if you, if you know, it's good, fast, and cheap. If you want it, you, you like pick two. If you want it good and fast, um, you know, you pay me salary. If you want it fast and cheap, you pay me, um, you pay me on flat rate. So it was, it was, it was funny. It was, uh, it's definitely. I think a lot I'm, of my time now is, spent talking with customers like getting the full problem and then making sure they're happy so i spend a lot more time doing that now as the business owner than i was as the tech so yeah Uh, that's changed that being said what's your craziest craziest customer story like probably like your worst one do you want me to go first sure (laughs) (laughs) we had we had a customer, um, unfortunately, come in and say that she lost her engagement ring in the car. Or she left her engagement ring in the car, and it was no longer there. Now, we had, we have protected against it. Like, we've opened up glove boxes. We found anywhere from firearms to stacks of cash to stuff that we probably shouldn't even be talking about. And for me, it was always, you know what? First off, you shouldn't. It shouldn't have been left in the car, but at the same time, 
I'm going to bring it up to my employer, and then we'd make that phone call. Um, my shop was pretty good. My shop, we had a very tight group of people, so it didn't happen, period. Like, there was there was nothing. And she's like, I swear I left my engagement ring in the car. It's a $50,000 engagement ring. And it was such a nightmare. It was such a nightmare. And ultimately, like, we, we gave the customer the repair for free. Um, we knew that. It, it didn't happen, but like, it's just difficult. And, and, and I mean, it's happened with sunglasses. It's happened with change. I mean, some people are like, I had $20 in change. And you're like, nobody stole your change. Like, <laughs> And uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I've told my wife since day one, not that, not that mechanics are, are unreliable. That's not what I'm saying is if you have something that you want to protect, don't assume that it's going to be protected right so um yeah so tell me your crazy i've got story. a i've got a couple well wheel lock tools you're searching around you're searching around for the wheel lock tool you're checking the center console the <laughs> glove box you're in the trunk area well i'm digging through a car okay find some dime bags and all this stuff in the center yeah, console yep. no wheel lock tool Look in the glove box. No wheel lock tool. Go to the trunk. Pull up the spare tire in there. A brick of weed. Okay. Found the wheel lock tool, though. But there's a whole freaking brick of weed in the trunk. And then there, on an opposite note, had a customer come in for a brake complaint. Like, I think he said he just did his brakes or a wheel bearing or something, but it was making noise. I get it up on the lift. I'm inspecting it, just visual over. I'm like, what the heck is that? And I see just the handle of, like, pliers. He had some needle-nose pliers that were wedged in behind the head of the rotor and were rotating around the entire time. Like, I don't know how you leave pliers in behind the head of a rotor and a wheel bearing. I have pictures of that somewhere. I think they're on my Facebook. But I mean, was, I, that was I, pretty crazy. I've, I've been known to leave a tool behind every now and again but uh yeah my favorite was like guys that check like the evap system and they'll they'll crimp off the the um the exhaust side of the evap system or the vent vent side and you go up there and you're like how long is this dodge is actually notorious for not running the evap cycle for like a long time so finally the check engine light came on i was like oh well, I see that this has been a problem for a while. <laughs> Vice grips just, just, just hanging right there. <laughs> but I've yeah, had, no, I mean, I've had that come in brake complaint. Oh, I, I've only got three brakes I know about. They got vice grips on the brake hose clamped off. <laughs> I've had one come in for a brake complaint. I think I did a video on this. Was they use plastic line for the brake line? No shit. Like fuel line? Like the polyurethane or whatever. You, I can't think of the proper name for it. The, no the black shit. stuff that they're using for fuel line now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right over top of it and clamped it. I'm surprised they made it here. It drove, it stopped. But wow. I was like, really? That's crazy. I mean, that that was always a big thing for us was like compression fittings, um, brake, brake lines and stuff like that. I, I, honestly, I've never... I've, in my in my early days, I was under 
I was under the instruction of somebody that shouldn't have been instructing. So I didn't know right. that you should. That's put, different. Correct. And then I quickly found out that that wasn't the right thing to do. However, I will tell you that I haven't seen a compression fitting fail on a brake line in in my my life. I mean, I've ch- we've done brake lines day in and day out, and I've seen them come in and the lines rotted and the compression fitting still there. And I was like, it's interesting. Now that we're talking about that, I I think I'm the same way. I see them on vehicles. I don't like them on vehicles. No, nope. I've never had one come in because it failed. No. No, I won't put them on it, but because my <laughs> luck, if I put one on it, it would be the one to fail. But yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how it always works. So out. let's talk about tools. I, I totally got sidetracked. Um, <laughs> so one of the big things, and I, I actually want to coach some of the kids that are listening to this. Some of the some of the guys that have been in the business a while. I fell into the, and, and I'm not going to name names because I still love the companies, but I fell into the trap early on. I was paying, I was paying a lot of money for a lot of tools. And as I exited the trade, you know, as I come up to the farm and, and working with Brunt and doing the podcast and what have you, um, I realized that, that as long as the, the tool got the job done, um, you didn't have to pay an arm and a leg. I mean, we joke about that 10 millimeter socket. I don't know how many of this company's 10 millimeter sockets that I've lost that at the end of the day, I probably shouldn't have been paying $20, $30 a 10 millimeter socket for that lifetime warranty when you could roll down to Pittsburgh or Harbor Freight or whatever um, and do the same thing. So talk, talk to me about your tool setup and, and, uh, and, and kind of the trials and tribulations you've gone through there. <sighs> when I acquired this place, well, let's start here. I've tried Snap-on, I've tried the Cornwell, I've used them all. I've got them all. Yeah. And you're right. The cheaper tools get the job done. The only time I say to get something expensive is if you break the cheaper one multiple times. Yeah. Is um, Like that big one I'm pushing now, Olsa, that's not a plug, but it is a plug, but it's... They're a pretty good tool tool brand. They're they're mid up there to Cornwell. They're still cheaper than the tool trucks, but they're I think they're right up there with Harbor Freight's pricing. But they're yeah. better than Harbor Freight's pricing. Um, yeah. All their stuff's been on point. I haven't broken. I've been using every day their new ratchets that came out. They feel identical to me as like a the Snap-ons and the Cornwells. I in fact yeah. I think the one that I got from them feels way better than a Cornwell ratchet. Yeah. And I spent twice the money on that one. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's a that's a valid point. I mean, um I with tool storage I must have a I probably have over twenty five K in just tool storage, never mind the, the tools in it. And uh I'm wondering like should I have gone down and bought a, a general or an icon or you know what I mean? It just at the end of the day. I mean my progression though was actually pretty cool. I went from like a hand-me-down repainted like snap-on toolbox from like the 70s. I still have it. And then I went to like a crap. They used to they used to bust my balls at the shop. They were like, hey, uh, you got the Maytag washers. I, I literally had like a Sears Craftsman uh, stainless steel 
toolbox, top and bottom chest. And then I, I moved to the whole, um, the whole snap on setup. And then I love it. But at the end of the day, was it worth it? Right. Well, yeah, when I took, bought this shop, the, the old business owner invested all his snap on Matco Mac and yep. all the, all the tools and equipment came with it. So I inherited that. So now I got all this stuff that he invested in. So I've got the boxes, tools, specialty tools that I didn't have to go and buy myself. But now I got like triples and quadruples of everything. Um, I probably didn't have to buy a big old Cornwell box, but I liked it. Guilty of that. I like the way it looked. It looks cool. <laughs> yeah. No, and that and that was a that was a funny thing too. I said to my I said to my wife as you know, we're doing our wills and what have you, and I was like, Trust me, the money I put into this is not the money you're getting out of it. So you're better off just giving it to the kid and saying, Hey, hold on to this. You'll need you'll need these tools at some point in time. It ain't worth selling it because the list price that I paid for it is like going to be a fraction of the cost that you're going to sell it for. Cause ain't no mechanic out there going to, going to shell out 25 K plus for a built out toolbox. No, I think I just got my year end tool from Cornwell. And it was like $29,000 for the year. That's what the box and the scanners and subscriptions on the scanners. Yeah. And it's like, Oh my gosh, my kids, kids are going to be paying on this thing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's how I, I feel. A, the the subscriptions the 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 scan tools are just and they're always changing i mean i got a little i got a modus still and uh i, I don't think i've too. updated it since 2019 and i'm like i mean it's like 1800 for a subscription I was like, hey honey i want to update my uh my 1800 no <laughs> It ain't much cheaper for the Autels for the year. It's like twelve to fourteen hundred dollars for the year. That's crazy. That's crazy. And hell, I started out with a Snap-on Varus, and sold that. Got the Autels. I still keep the the old Modus, which is only for like the old OBD one stuff, so the eighties yeah. and stuff. Keep that around on occasion. Occasionally, you get the old vehicle in. Yeah, I'm I the mean, only one around was... here will work on it that was that was the crazy part too is like you had to keep them right uh obd1 and and the vantage and the scope and all that stuff and then um we had an autel that would would talk to like early sobs like you just randomly get a sob in and you're like i can't communicate with it the tech two would communicate with some of the sobs too um during its time being acquired by gm um but yeah there's there was those offshoot ones that were that were crazy, but, um, yeah. So tools, uh, obviously high level, make sure that what you're buying is going to be something. I, the, the mantra we had in the shop is if you need to borrow it twice, buy it. <laughs> so, yep. <laughs> Cause Steve, Jim, you know, whoever in the shop is not going to let you borrow it over and over again. Cause there's obviously wear and tear on that. And, Hell, if if that ever breaks, then you're on the hook for paying for it. Um, Doing that with my other, apprentice. The other thing is, is like there's just so many tool options out there. Don't let the tool truck get you every time. Awesome, awesome. Oh. So, 
when you're looking for a new hire, right? So do you have a problem hiring? Are you are you seeing a labor shortage or are you fully staffed? I've got enough people to get the job done. I've yeah. got two now. I've got another right-hand man that knows just about as much as I do, which is, thank God, but I grew up with him. So we know each other. I know his skill set. He knows mine. Mm-hmm. Luckily, he was in the shop he was working at before. Wasn't treating him right. So their loss is my gain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just started, hell, in November. So he ain't been here very long. But yep. we're rocking and rolling. We, we mesh real good. I love it. Uh, before that, it, people would walk in wanting a job, but it was entry level. They haven't ever wrenched. They wanted me to teach them. And I, I want to teach, but I, I, I don't have the time right now to teach Yeah, that the, full, the way I want to. I'd love to, but I can't. Um, yeah, people want to work, but they don't have the, the skill set or the qualifications to do it, if that makes sense. No, I mean, that's that's actually interesting from what I'm seeing out in our area. We had a hard time getting anybody to push a broom to scrub a toilet, never mind wanting to learn an oil change. But to to speak to your point, uh, some of the some of the biggest jobs, some of the some of the most detrimental jobs to a business owner are entry level. Right. Um, Tires and oil changes will turn a shop upside down if done pro- improperly. I mean, you oh, lose yeah. a you lose a tire on a highway and it kills somebody or you lose you, that drain plug falls out or that oil filter's not put on properly, then you're eating you a motor. And and it's crazy that those are just entry level jobs. Like, I need a tire and lube tech. I'll teach you and it's like these are like basic foundation. This is this is some serious shit, right? In like foot in the door stuff well same thing with brakes yeah yeah most tire lube and brakes and that's your safety system (laughs) yeah we're not we're not even talking about like comfort features starts you know um alarm problems um you know hey my my uh my on star doesn't work like any of that shit we're talking about like and that's that's top level tech stuff we're talking about basic stuff is like a kid out of high school that, I mean, you need to be on point from day one. That's wild. That's yeah. wild. I, I think that's one of the first, that's, that's a, we're one of those industries that's actually pretty unique that your entry level tech is, has probably some of the most serious jobs to deal with, even though they're the, the most menial tasks, if you will. Yeah, and the one I got now is not a real big self-starter. Um, jobs get something done, doesn't know what to do next. And he's yeah. he's been here for pro- almost a year now, and I've explained to him, like, I got the whole schedule up on the computer out in the shop. You can walk over to it, see what's scheduled for today and what's already been here since yesterday or what's coming in in the next month. Yeah. And he just don't get it. Yeah. You get, you can't teach it. And then a lot of it is you got to have that, what is that mechanical know-how. So you got to be mechanically inclined. Yep. Um, you can't teach that either. If you don't have mechanical know-how, you, you can teach them a little bit, but you're, they're never going to, I don't think they're ever going to grow to their full potential. Yeah. And, that, and, and 
and there's a place for those guys too, right? Yeah. Some some of those guys will. I mean, I saw it. I had a I had a 50 year old tech that it was just ball joints, brakes, you know, suspension work, and that was it. I mean, old dog. And then there was, you know, a 20 year old kid that was, you know, reprogramming modules and and chasing down opens on on wires and everything. And it, I mean, there's it, it's funny in the automotive industry. There's a place for everybody. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh self-starter if you want to make it to the top yeah I, i'm i'm trying to teach him and i mean he's working out he's got the occasional mishap where things come back and we deal with it but that's on me i'm trying i'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt i want him to do good i, I want him to succeed but a lot of it's been more bad than good it sounds but, like you're pretty patient yeah that's good. I mean, that's what uh, everybody tells me. <laughs> that's what everybody tells me. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So I think we've uh, we've crushed the automotive industry um, at a high level. Um, but outside of your job and what you do on a daily basis, what do you like to do? You know, to unwind. Pretty much boring. Shower, eat, sit in front of a TV. Just you know what? watch shows, dude. It escape from the world. <laughs> it's simple. That, is, that has been that has been like the number one answer from so. Well, it's probably the number two answer. The number one answer is there is no off time. It's just always like when I'm home, I'm thinking about what I got to do throughout the day. Um, or some people will say like I'm prepping for the next day. Um, but yeah, the other thing is just, I, I I do that as well. But watching TV or looking at emails from a customer, or responding back to a customer, or thinking about what the next day is, like you said, um, watching YouTube videos is something I've like, whoa, I've never seen this before because I don't know everything. So I'm constantly learning and searching stuff up, doing research on different systems and getting familiar with them because everything, like you said, is constantly changing. It's evolving. Especially technology. My, my first 7.3 diesel high-pressure oil pump change, I watched, thank God for this man, because you can go step-by-step, step, but we know step-by-step step is not always taking a month of Sundays to do it. I, I fast-forwarded to the part. I took everything apart. I fast-forwarded to the part where I was stuck. This guy put a GoPro on from start to finish, eight hours, the entire uh, changing out the high pressure oil pump and putting it all back together. And uh, I was like, oh shit, that's how you do it. And it was because of YouTube and my boss used to bust my balls about it. He's like, hey, what are you, a YouTube mechanic? And I'm like, I mean, it's there. Like, why would I use it? Sometimes it's got better info than Identifix All Data or Mitchell. Like, <laughs> I'm to the point where I'm mad at Mitchell, dude. It gives you some of the wrong info or misleads you. Yeah. 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 No, that, that that's, that's a very valid point. So, um, last question I ask, and this is a, this one's, this one's a good for me because I, I'll tell you what mine is, but, um, what's the number one tool that you would, that you would get in the trade. So in your trade, and it could be, 
you know, today as a top mechanic or entry level. And I always say the number one tool I always went for was actually my pry bar. Um, but I'll let, I'll open it up to you. What, what is your number one tool that you go to all the time? Number one tool. Mm-hmm. Probably your half inch impact. Yeah. That and the flashlight. Oh, that's true. The flashlight as well. Yeah, I had. Uh, actually, I got one now. You're taking you're taking wheels off and other other stuff most of the time doing inspections. Pry bar is a big one because you're using it to check suspensions and all that and oh, whatever yeah. else getting shit off. Pardon my French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, actually, these streamlights. I love these fucking things. They're the best, but. I almost want to cry when I lose one. I got about like four or five of them rebuilt for life, whatever. But yeah, they're expensive, but they're worth it. hundred percent. hundred percent. Sweet, sweet. So Mike, this was awesome. Um, definitely got down and dirty. We'll do another podcast for all the gearheads out there that, um, that want to know more about the industry, but, uh, yeah. I feel like I fumbled I think, my words a bit, but it was good. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's the the way I look at it is is it's true. It's I mean it's from the trades. I mean you're in it every freaking day, and um, you know, it's like it's real. <laughs> I'm still I never leave. <laughs> so if anybody I, and and you have an actual uh, you have an unbelievably loyal following. There you. You have a, a group of people that watch you for your day in and day out. They they put their faith in you. They put their trust in you. You've gained their trust. You've earned their trust. Um, if anybody wanted to reach out to you, want to know more about your business or or um, the industry itself, where could they reach you at? I would say Messenger, but that gets flooded and it usually gets sent to spam and I don't see it. So email is the best way. And I've got that listed on my Facebook, but it's autotechmike and the number one at gmail.com. Awesome. So if you need to speak to Mike, you had a question, you know, you want to know more about it, hit Mike up. And uh, Mike, I thank you for being on the podcast. And thank you for having me. Awesome. And as a special thanks to our loyal listeners, we're giving $10 off your next purchase of $60 or more at bruntworkwear.com. Use discount code BUCKETTALK10. That's BUCKETTALK10.